Well, uh, we've been in the middle of a series on our core values at Christ Church. There's seven of them. We're going to conclude that series next Sunday as we think about the idea of the gospel changing everything. And today, I had scheduled to talk about our core value, uh, love for our place. But I am not going to do that today uh, because, uh, trust me, this is not normal for me. Usually I get the plan and I go with the plan. But I was reading just devotionally on Monday morning, and I read this passage, and uh, it just moved me, and the Spirit moved me. And as a preacher, I know I'm moved when I think, I really want to preach on this. And so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to preach on this. Because I felt like we just needed to reflect on and rejoice in and ponder together. For a few minutes this morning, the depth of the love of God for us in Jesus. That's always a good thing for us as a church to do. And especially as we near the Easter season, uh, I think it's really important. And so we're going to just follow the promptings of the Spirit and look at these verses from Ephesians chapter 3 this morning, because I think we as a church need to remember together the strength that we need. This is a passage that's all about strength. And I think if we're honest, we all want strength. We all want to be strong. There's actually a big market for books helping you understand how to be spiritually strong. If you don't believe me, just search Amazon for Christian books. Near the top of the list right now, you'll find a book by a young lady named Rachel Hollis. It's called Girl, Wash Your Face. Some of you ladies might have read this book. I read through a little bit of it and uh, couldn't finish. And uh, I do want to urge you to avoid the book. Um, The book's full of lies. It really is. Uh, The entire point of the book is that spiritual success and spiritual strength come from relying on yourself. And resting on your strength. Just for example, here's a couple of quotes. Hollis writes, You are meant to be the hero of your own story. You and only you are ultimately responsible for who you become and how happy you are. You should be the very first of your priorities. You know, her answer, and this is a very, very popular book right now. Her answer to virtually every issue is self-care, self-love, self-strength. And There's some things perhaps in the book that are commendable, but the problem is that that actually goes directly against the grain of the kind of strength that God wants you to have. Directly against the grain of the kind of strength God wants you to have. You see, the Bible tells us repeatedly, and the counterintuitive nature of the gospel is this. The strength that God wants us to have is a strength to see that we don't have strength. The strength that God wants us to have is a a strength to see the strength of Jesus for us. And that's what this prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesians at the end of Ephesians 3 is about. These are glorious realities that really get us to the root of the gospel. And so I want to focus on them together this morning. Paul begins this prayer in verse 14 by saying, For this reason, and that for this reason is hearkening back to what he wrote about in Ephesians chapter 2. That's a great chapter in the Bible that's all about what God has done for people in and through Jesus Christ. The first half of Ephesians 2 tells us that God has saved us from death and from guilt. And then the second part of chapter 2 says that God has brought us into a new humanity, a new family that we call the church. And so Paul has prayed and is praying that the Ephesian church that he wrote this letter to would continue to grasp what he's writing about in Ephesians 2, would continue to grasp the goodness and the love of God demonstrated in God's action for us in Jesus and in the Spirit. Those are the basis of this prayer. And Paul continues 
uh, by praying that we would be more and more able to understand and believe that God is who he says he is and that what God has done for us in Jesus is transformative. And Paul actually prays that we would have a particular kind of strength in these verses. And that's what I want to look at with you this morning. I want to look at the kind of strength that God wants you to have. And you can break it up into two points. He wants you to have a strength that is spiritual, and secondly, a strength to see Jesus' love. Let me show you. First, Paul prays, verse 16, according to the riches of his glory, that God may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul prays that we would have a strength that is spiritual. Now notice there's a There's a multiplication of power words there. He's praying that they would have strength, that they would have might. But it's a spiritual strength. It's a spiritual might. And I mean that in two senses. First, it's a strength that comes from the Holy Spirit. Look at what he says. He says he wants power through his spirit. It's a capital S, spiritual strength that God wants us to have. Listen, believers in Jesus Christ are empowered to live the Christian life only as they access the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the definition of what it means to be a Christian. You have accessed the Holy Spirit's own power. One of the great examples of that that might make it practical for you is to think about the 12 disciples that we read about in the Bible. Have you ever noticed, if you're familiar with the Bible, the difference between the 12 disciples in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and the 12 disciples in Acts? In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, let me just tell you, these guys are presented, to put it gently, as spiritually dull. They just don't get it. For example, the transfiguration. Jesus appears with Elijah and Moses, and he tells them, basically, I am the Christ, the one that your people have been waiting on for generations and generations, the one who's going to rescue Israel from their sin. And just a couple of hours later, the disciples are saying, hey, Jesus, that's nice, but can we get some food? I mean, we're starving up in here. They're they're just spiritually dull. They're not able to understand who Jesus is or why Jesus came, even though Jesus explicitly tells them. There's 11 of these guys plus Judas, and then there's the same 11 guys plus another one in Acts that seem to be completely different men. If you read through Acts, you'll see that they are spiritually fearless. They're bold in proclaiming the truth of Jesus' resurrection to the most powerful forces of the day. They're willing to endure suffering for the sake of what they believe has happened in Jesus Christ. So what is it that's changed the apostles? What is it that changed them from the spiritually dull set of men that we find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to the spiritually fearless warriors we find in Acts? Listen, it's not that they went to seminary. I'm for seminary, but that's not what it is. And it's also not that they they read some good books and suddenly just got it. It's not that they had some sort of uh, spiritual awakening that erupted from within. The thing that changed them was the outpouring of God's Spirit. That's what the very beginning of Acts is about. The Holy Spirit is poured upon these men and it transforms them completely. And that's what Paul is asking we would experience as well. And so how do you know if you've experienced that? How do you know if you have strength from the Holy Spirit? Well, we know when we have what Paul prays for in verse 17. 
when we're more and more experientially connected to Jesus, when he is dwelling in our hearts through faith, when we're rooted and grounded in love, the kind of strength you need is a strength that comes only from the Holy Spirit. That's part of what it means to have a strength that's spiritual, okay? Secondly, it's a strength from the Holy Spirit for our spirits. Look at what he says again in verse 16. He wants God to strengthen them with power through his spirit in your inner being. That literally means the person inside. It refers to, um, to the real you. The spirit or the heart in the ancient writings like the Bible refer to the seat of human life, the seat of human emotions. Your inner being is the focal point of your life. And what the gospel tells us is that that is where the Holy Spirit comes and does his renewing and strengthening work. So to summarize, Paul prays for a strength that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and that is for our inner life, for our spirits. What does that mean for you? Here's what I think. I think that this truth has the capacity to transform your life. This truth has the capacity to transform your life. Let me show you how. Think about it with me this way. Notice here what Paul does not pray for. Notice what he does not pray for. He doesn't pray a single thing about the outward circumstances that the Ephesians were going through at the time. And by the way, those were bad. (laughs) Bad circumstances. Christians are being persecuted. They're being thrown to the lions in the Colosseum. To claim Jesus Christ as Lord was political insurrection in first century Rome. And yet, we don't see Paul saying a word here to God in his prayer for them about, God, please protect them. And we don't see him saying a word about himself, like, God, get me out of this jail cell so I can go plant more churches. He doesn't pray anything about outward circumstances. Rather, he prays that he and they would have Holy Spirit-given strength for their inner life. And I think that has massive ramifications for us now. If we can understand that, if you can simmer on that, it can transform you. How? It can transform you because it can free you from the tyranny of circumstances. It can free you from the tyranny of circumstances. Ask yourself quietly, what circumstances right now are tyrannizing you? What are you afraid of? What are you worried about? What's keeping you up at night? What is it that's going through your brain as you're in the shower, getting ready for your day? What are you despondent over? What's giving you heartburn? The point of these verses is that the way forward through these things is to rely by faith on the ministry of the Holy Spirit to our hearts. Listen to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. The glory of the gospel is this, he writes. It is concerned with us and not our circumstances. The final triumph of the gospel is this. Whatever our circumstances, we ourselves can be put right and maintained, whether the things we fear take place or not. Paul says we shall be kept either way. 
Thank God that is the victory. I am taken above circumstances. I am triumphant in spite of them. What does it mean to be a believer in Jesus? Part of what it means is this, that you, by the Spirit's ministry in your heart, have the capacity for an ever-growing inner strength. For a life that's dependent upon Jesus and Jesus' Spirit, and not dependent upon things in your outer world going well. And when you can get that, you can be freed from the slavery and the tyranny that bad circumstances dictate over our lives. That is why Paul prays. And that is why God wants us to have a strength that is spiritual from the Holy Spirit and for our spirits. That's the first thing. Notice what Paul prays next, though. He moves on. And he also asks God that the Ephesians and that us would have another kind of strength. And I want to camp out here for a few minutes because uh, this is just a majestic passage. It's majestic. And really, I think it's the key. This is not an exaggeration, the key to being a Christian. So what is the truth? Well, as Paul does, he's, he's getting really revved up here. It's like he's shifting into fifth gear on the Autobahn in Germany where there's no speed limit. You know, that's what he's doing verbally. And uh, he's building us up with this language, as he's wont to do. He's piling up all these power words, one after another. He asks God that they might have strength and power and might, etc., etc. And then he hits us with it. Strength and power and might for what? To save the world. No, that's not what he says. To overcome all of our struggles... That's not what he says. To speak the truth courageously to power. To become the people we were destined to be. To be the heroes of our own story. Paul doesn't say any of that. None. The power and the strength that Paul asks God to give us is a strength, verse 18. To comprehend. To comprehend something. Verse 19. To know. To know something. Well, to comprehend and to know what? Here it is. Here's what it means to be a Christian and to grow. A growing Christian is someone who can more and more comprehend and know how much Jesus loves you. Look what he says. To comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. To know what? The love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It surpasses knowledge, so that means that we can never know it fully. We can always know more. We can always be growing in this. And guess what? That's enough. That's it. That's all Paul asks. In fact, that's more than enough. Can I ask you this? This is what hit me this week when I was reading this passage. Do you believe that? Let me answer. You don't. You do not believe that. And I don't believe that either. We don't at least consistently believe that the strength we need in our life is strength to truly grasp the deep, deep love of Jesus for us. We don't really believe that that's what we need the most. We don't really believe that that's the strength God wants us to have. I know that because if we did believe that, our lives would be different. If we did believe that, our lives would be different. And furthermore... Furthermore, here's an added bonus. Our religiosity and our churchy culture can actually hinder our believing that more than help our believing that. One of my uh, spiritual heroes is a man named Jack Miller. He was a pastor in Philadelphia for many years. And um, 
he and his wife Rosemary in one of their books tell a story about a young girl who moved in to live with them who grew up in their neighborhood and in their church. And this girl, when she was growing up in the church youth group, had had all kinds of typical Christian experiences that you might have if you grew up in a church youth group. She had had religious mountaintop moments. She had had sort of peak existential experiences and then kind of swung back down into the valley of despair as is the tendency if that's been your background and those things didn't ever really satisfy her and so after high school she left and got addicted to substances and drugs and alcohol ravaged her life and she found herself at the bottom of the barrel when Jack and Rosemary re-entered her story and she came to live with them just for a few months and uh, the Millers spoke to her of the simple and deep love of Jesus Christ and her life changed And at one point, she said to the Millers this, you know, I've made dozens of decisions for Christ and none had helped. I'd made dozens of decisions for Christ and none had helped because I never realized that faith is resting in Jesus alone and that was enough. Do you know that? The key to being a Christian The key to being a Christian is not that you give your life to Jesus. The key to being a Christian is that Jesus gave his life to you. The key to being a Christian is not you again and again rededicating your life to Jesus. The key to being a Christian is to believe more and more that Jesus, once for all, has dedicated and continues to dedicate his life to you. Now, in religious circles, we tend to reverse that. And when we reverse that, we lose the power that God wants us to have. There's more here, though. Paul takes us deeper. Paul asks that we would know, that we would comprehend what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ. Let's play with those words for a little bit together. Can you do that with me? Jesus' love has breadth. The love of Jesus is so broad that no type of person is too far gone to receive it. Whatever you have done, wherever you have been, whatever experiences you have had that plague you with guilt or rack you with shame, none of those things are too much for the broad love of Jesus. He redeems all types of people this means is that your sin is not as strong as Jesus's love. The breadth of your brokenness cannot compare to the breadth of his grace. Jesus never gives up on people. He tells us about the length of Jesus's love. Jesus's love is so long that you cannot run so far that you will not receive it. Jesus will chase you down with his love. Your rebellion and your straying and your prodigal wanderings, these things can never take you out of the range of the pursuing love of Jesus. There will never be in any of your lives a single infinitesimal second where you are not being rapidly pursued by the gracious love of Jesus Christ. And once he gets a hold of you, he will never leave you. Nothing can pluck you out of his hand. He will not forsake you. He's called you by name. You are 
his. The love of Jesus has height. Jesus' love is so high, it's so high that the scriptures tell us that Jesus will get us to a position of such glory and beauty that our present experiences can't even begin to touch it. First John chapter 3, uh, summarizing here, John basically tells us that what we shall be when Jesus comes back has not yet appeared to us, but we know that we will be like him because we will see with him, we will be with him where he is. The height of Jesus' love means that we will have God and God will have us. He will be our God and we will be his people. C.S. Lewis puts it in the weight of glory like this. He who has God in everything else has no more than he who has God only. You believe that? He who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. I like to think about it in terms of wanting to be with someone that you love. A story about my wife and I. Before Marianne and I were married, um, we have a very complicated story that she tells much better than I do, and it makes me look bad. So I'm not going to tell you right now that part of the story. Um, before we got married, Marianne, uh, after college, took a trip with her, one of her best friends to Europe, and they spent some time in Europe. And I was, you know, in Philadelphia in seminary and doing my thing, and Marianne and her friend were in Europe having a great time. And um, one night they were together. Where were you? Barcelona? She was in Barcelona. I love telling this story. And uh, she was in Barcelona with her friend, and she seemed kind of somber and downcast. And her friend looked at her and said, man, what is wrong with you? I mean, we're having a great time. We saved up money for this. It's beautiful. And she looked at her and he said, it's just not as great without Luke here. That's why I love telling that story. (laughs) It's just not as great without Luke here. And you know, 15 years into our marriage, I feel the same way about her. When I go on trips without her, the wine doesn't taste as good. The food isn't as enjoyable. I don't sleep well because to have her with me makes every other experience I have better. And to have me with her would have made that experience better. And in a crazy, almost unfathomable way, what the height of Jesus' love means is that God feels that way about his people. He so longs for you to be with him that he's willing to sacrifice himself to get there. He wants us to enjoy the glory that Jesus has with his father from all eternity and into eternity. That's the height of the love of Jesus. Jesus' love has depth, Paul says. Listen, Jesus' love is so deep that there's nothing you can do to change it. Or affect his delight in you. Jesus is not ever going to get tired of you. In most relationships, the more we get to know a person, the more tired we get of that person, right? And that's not the case with the gospel. That's the way we think God is, but that's not what God is like. At least that's not what the real God is like. Jesus is not going to love you less as he really gets to know you. Jesus is not going to shame you for your failure to love him back. His love for you is unconditioned. It's not dependent upon you returning love to him. His love for you is not going to change when you let him down. He loves you more than you love yourself. He loves you more than you love your sin. His love is so high and so deep that you can't get around it. You can't surpass it. You can't avoid it. It's unconquerable. It's unchangeable. It's unassailable. Why does Paul pray this? Because there's nothing more important for you 
and there's nothing more transformative for your life than for you to know how much Jesus Christ loves you right now. He smiles at the thought of you. He delights in you at this very moment. But Paul knows that we forget this and that we fail to believe it and that at the root, that is our problem. And that's why he prays that we might have more and more strength to see and comprehend that this is really what God is like. This is really what the love of Jesus is. You know, our problem is that we might know a lot of biblical doctrine and we might know a lot of Bible verses and we might be able to explain a lot of theology but we have not yet experienced the reality of the things we claim to know. C.S. Lewis again. C.S. Lewis draws a comparison between the difference of looking at a map of the English countryside and experiencing the English countryside. You can imagine that with me. What Lewis says is that it's one thing to look at a map of the English countryside. And you know what? You need a map to tell you how to get from point A to point B and how to enjoy your stroll along the countryside. But it's completely different to actually walk hand in hand with someone you love along the coast through the countryside. You need the map, but the map is not the same as experiencing the reality that the map is intended to depict. Our problem as Christians is that some of us haven't even gotten out of the car. We're just sitting in the car looking for the map in the glove box. We don't do that anymore. Looking on our GPSs on our iPhones and not actually getting out and walking. Some of us read and think and study and go to Bible studies and come to church, but there's a lack of experiential power. And the, connect, the disconnect, the reason is because we don't have the strength that God wants us to have, the strength to comprehend the depth of the love of Jesus. Our great need is to grasp the depth of Christ's love. And you only know Jesus, listen, you only know Jesus to the degree that he is melting you and changing you and disturbing you and comforting you. You only know Jesus to, deg- to the degree that you are increasingly seeing yourself rightly and increasingly seeing Jesus rightly. A few years ago when we were just getting the church started, I had coffee with a guy who was exploring the Christian faith. He had visited our church a couple of times and he's no longer around, which is why I can tell this story. And uh, one time we were having coffee and he sat down, uh, he was sitting across from me and we were having a great conversation and he was just starting to begin to understand what we actually mean when we say that we're all sinners. And he said to me this, Pastor Luke, every preacher I've ever had has told me he was a sinner, but you're the only one I've ever believed. (laughs) I'm still trying to figure out what he meant by that. (laughs) Every preacher I've ever had has told me he's a sinner, but you're the only one I've ever believed, Luke. And you know what? I'm going to take that as a compliment. (laughs) Revisionist history. I'm going to take that as a compliment. And I really do think that he meant that he had been exposed for the first time, not just through me, but through our community, to the reality that each one of us really is deeply broken by our rebellion against God. And each one of us really only can experience the transformative power of the gospel by fleeing ourselves entirely on Christ's work for us and not by trying to build up this religious facade that's just an exhausting charade. He saw for the first time that our only hope is to cling to the depth 
of Jesus's love and that what it means to be a Christian at the end of the day is to admit that we actually are worse than we think and we're much worse than we want to admit to you. But we're actually also much, much more loved by God in Christ than we ever dared hope. That's what it means to be a Christian. Have you experienced that before? Are you resting in his forgiveness and in his grace? It's the kind of strength he wants you to have. A strength not for yourself, but actually a strength to see the strength of Jesus. Let me close with this. Jesus, uh, not Jesus, Marianne and I, very close to Jesus, but she's not quite there. Uh, we were watching a Netflix documentary uh, recently. I don't know if it was on Netflix. One of those streaming apps called Free Solo. Some of you might have seen this. It's about this guy that um, free climbs, what's that thing called? What's it called? El Capitan. Yes, thank you. Some of you have seen it in uh, Yellowstone National Park. And uh, within the first three minutes, I'm thinking, this guy is insane. You know, there's some sort of crazy family of origin story. Bad news here. I'm armchair psychologizing this guy. He climbs up this just sheer granite face. It would be like me climbing that wall, literally. And uh, he does it. And throughout the documentary, they're interviewing him. And he keeps repeating these words about having strength. And obviously he needs a certain sort of strength to, with his fingernails basically, climb El Capitan. But I kept thinking to myself, why doesn't this guy just use a stinking rope? I mean, it's pretty amazing if you climb El Capitan with a rope. But he refuses. He refuses because he is reliant upon his own ability to prove his strength to himself and to prove his strength to everybody else. And it struck me that the way of the world is just that. We spend so much time trying to prove our strength to ourselves and to prove our strength to everyone else, especially as Christians, because there's a rope right here. And really what we need is to grab onto the rope. If we grab onto the rope, we're not going to fall. And if we grab onto the rope, we can climb. Jesus is the rope. Quit trying to climb the mountain yourself when a secure rope is available for you. What is Paul saying here? What is God saying to you this morning? He's saying that you're not ultimately responsible for who you become. Rachel Hollis is dead wrong. You are not the hero of your own story. And what you most need is not to understand how strong you are. What you most need is to believe how weak you are and how strong Jesus is for you. And when you grasp that by faith, you have exactly the strength God wants you to have. Let's pray.